2 Kings chapter 6, 2 Kings chapter 6 verse 15. I'm in the middle of a story and I'll give the context of it. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host can pass the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, and the him is Elisha the prophet, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he, Elisha, answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. I want to speak to you today on the superiority of the spiritual. The superiority of the spiritual. I'm going to try to be a little careful with my voice today and not get too carried away, but my spirit is passionate about this message, the superiority of the spiritual. You can be seated. Usually when somebody loses at a game or a sport, they say, well, you can't win them all. That's what losers usually say. And in life, and those of you who might follow sports or even business applications, sometimes they say, well, speed beats power, or defense beats offense, or strategy beats talent, or coaching wins championships. In the news in the last few months has been a debate about advanced sports analytics, uh, a powerful predictor of the play of a particular athlete, mostly Applied in basketball, seems to be used most in professional basketball. But applied analytics, advanced analytics, isn't always right. Because you never know. Solomon was attempting to explain what he saw as illogical outcomes. And he said in Ecclesiastes 9.11, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, here's a business application, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill. He said from, I think, a human perspective, not a spiritual perspective, but time and chance happeneth, to them all. There is a very challenging, rather intellectual game that kind of demonstrates how this works in life and how there is never a clearly superior tactic. This game is called Rock, Paper, Scissors. And in this moving game, we learn that not any one particular weapon is superior. We can have a rock or paper or scissors. But as you probably learned growing up, that rock beats scissors because rock crushes scissors. But rock doesn't beat paper because paper covers rock. And 
paper doesn't beat scissors because scissors cut paper. So we have this wonderful lesson in life from this little game that there's always somebody else that's got a little better angle or strategy or advantage. And no matter who you are in the natural world, no one always wins in every situation. The variables of life are innumerable and no one wins every time except when it comes to God. Because regardless of the field of play, God always has home field advantage and the spiritual always prevails over the natural every time, everywhere, for everyone. There is never a field of play in life when God is at a disadvantage. There is never a circumstance when the natural energy, power, or intellect can overpower the spiritual power of God. I'm talking about the superiority of the spiritual. What if you always had inside information? What if you were always assured of the outcome? What if you knew that every time in the end you would win? If you knew that you could ally yourself, you could become a comrade to the winning side every time, wouldn't it make sense that you would make sure you were always on that team? That's what happens when you understand the superiority of the spiritual. The king of Syria decided he was going to attack the king of Samaria, the northern tribe of Israel. So they set an ambush at a particular crossroad, but the prophet Elisha went to the king of Israel and said, Be careful, because at such and such a place, a very top secret place, so top secret that it was just called such and such a place, the Syrian army has set an ambush for you, so either don't go there, or if you go there, be on guard. And the king of Israel took that inside information and he spared himself. On another day, the king of Syria with the marauding band came against Israel and they set an ambush at such and such a place. But Elisha got an audience with the king of Israel and said, be careful when you go down to such and such a place because the Syrian army, the marauding bands from Syria are there and they're going to try to ambush you there. And the king did not go there, he was alerted. And the Bible said that the king of Israel saved himself not once or twice, but multiple times having this inside information that came from God to Elisha, to a not that spiritual 
king of Israel and he saved himself. The king of Syria is not spiritual. He doesn't believe in a supernatural God who knows all things and who speaks to his men and women and to prophets. So the king of Syria calls all of his close advisors in and says we need to figure out who is the spy among us. Because every time, every time we set a snare for the Israelites, they find out about it and I know that there's got to be a, a spy among us. There's no other natural explanation for how the king of Israel can win every time. And one of his men said, Sorry king, there's no traitor here. But the things that you discuss, even in the privacy of your bedroom, God tells Elisha the prophet, and he tells the king of Israel... So there's no way you can win in this kind of warfare because God knows your very thoughts. He knows everything you're doing. It's just the superiority of the spiritual. But the king of Syria is not that spiritual. So he says, I want you guys to send out a reconnaissance mission. And I want you to find where Elisha is because we're going to beef up our forces and we're going to go get that guy who's the informant of the king of Israel. So they sent out some men and they found that Elisha and his servant were staying at a city called Dothan, not Alabama. It was a small city located on a hilltop in the middle of a wide plain. So one night, the slow learner, king of Syria, gathers a huge host, a massive army of soldiers with horses and chariots. And they descend in the darkness on the little town of Dothan. And they surround Elisha, And his servant. They got him this time. Early in the morning. Elisha's servant opens the door. He goes outside. And what he sees freaks him out. It blows his mind. Everywhere he can see. There are Syrian soldiers, chariots, horsemen. Elisha must have been a sound sleeper for all of them to sneak up on him. He rushes back in the house, slams the door, and says, Elisha, you're not going to believe it. The Syrians have come. They've got chariots, horses, soldiers. And Elisha just calmly says, chill out. That's in a modern version. We got this. Don't worry about it. They that be with us, 
are more than they that be with them. Now you got to put yourself in the, in the mind of that servant who's thinking, ah, the old prophets lost it. I got you and I got me and we've got no weaponry. And I looked outside just a minute ago and they've got him and him him and him and them and all those horses and all those chariots. Master, how shall we do? It's kind of like, how do you think we're going to die? Arrow, spear, dagger, trampled under a chariot. Master, what are we going to do? And Elisha prayed a prayer. That would be my prayer for you today. He said, Lord, would you open my servant's eyes so he can see? Because there is a reality that you cannot see with your natural eye, but it is a reality. It's not make-believe. It's just not empty faith. It's just not something we conjure up. It's not emotional. It's not because we sing right on King Jesus. It's something powerful and spiritual and very real. It's very real. At ground level, horses, chariots, soldiers. But when God opened the eyes of the servant. He looked and he saw above the horses and the chariots that were at ground level a a world that was greater and more powerful. It was a mighty angel armies of God that were existing in the spiritual environment over the Syrian army, the army of God, a host of chariots. A very real, invincible army of angels. Angels are bad to the bone. Sodom and Gomorrah, sinful cities. God sends two angels down to take care and destroy the city. Whenever the Assyrians... We're going to try to destroy Israel. In one night, God said, let me see how we're going to deal with the 185,000 bad guys. He looks over there, there's Gabriel standing there. He goes down the, the angels and he, I don't know how this really happened. This is, I'm just throwing this in. He looks over there, there's a kind of little skinny angel. His biceps aren't bulging. He's just a regular angel. He's not an archangel. He's not a captain of the hosts of God. He's just an angel. Doesn't even have a name. And the Bible said that the Lord sent the angel out into the camp of the Assyrians. And one angel slew 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night by himself. Angels are bad news. And when the servant's eyes were open, he looked, and in a world above, 
not beside, not below, in a world above the natural world, there were the resources to bring victory to Elisha and his servant. Because in God's world, there is victory guaranteed every time for everyone, everywhere. He always has home court advantage no matter who the adversary is. And this battle that's about to take place is pretty stunning. In the morning, the Bible says that the Syrian army began to advance on Elisha and his servant. You talk about overkill, right? And as they're coming, Elisha just calmly prays. Lord, would you mind striking them with blindness? And he did. Open the eyes of my servant so he can see the divine resources. Blind this army so they now lose their ability to fight us. And Elisha walks right up to this blinded army and says, you know, this must be a case of mistaken identity. But if you'll follow me, I'll take you to the guy in the city. All right. They all follow Elisha. He marches them out of Dothan to the city of Samaria, about 12 miles away, I believe. And right inside the city they go, blindly following the guy they're trying to kill. And they get inside the city of Samaria, and Elisha says, Lord, would you open their eyes? And the Lord opens their eyes. And the king of Israel says, should I kill him? Should I kill him? It's twice in the Bible. And Elisha says, no, we don't kill our prisoners of war. Why don't you make a banquet for them and send them home? And that's exactly what they did. I want you to understand the superiority of the spiritual. That God would say words like this. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. It does not matter what man imagines or the gates of hell devise against you. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that rises against you in judgment you will condemn. Because God always has home court advantage and God always has the upper hand it is the superiority of the spiritual now some of you say that you believe in the spirit but by the way you live you obviously do not have faith in the power of God to work in your life Well, how how do you know that? Well, you don't pray. No, I know you pray, but you don't pray. You don't fast, 
bring the flesh under subjection to release the power of the Spirit in your life. You don't study your Bible that has the insight and understanding to bring victory in your life. You come to church, you don't worship. You don't tithe into the Lord's work because you don't have faith that God will take care of you if you put Him first in your life. So wait a second, preacher, I've been filled with the Spirit. Sure you have, but the Spirit doesn't have control of your life. You may be filled with the Spirit, but you must not be walking in the Spirit. You might be hanging out with the spiritual guys, but you're blinded to the spiritual realities and you need God to open your eyes so you can see the amazing resources that are available to you in the spiritual world. Because it is always the superiority of the spiritual. You see, if we live our lives like the people around us who do not have the Spirit working in their life, if we rely on our intellect like they rely on their intellect, if we rely on hard work like they rely on hard work, if we try to manipulate our way through life like they who do not know God do, if we are unethical and dishonest like they are to try to make everything come together to work out like we think it ought to work out, if we rely on luck and the lottery to bring blessing in our life, that is not how God works. You can't say that you believe in the superiority of the spiritual when you don't invite the spiritual resources into your life. But if you believe that the spiritual realm is superior to the natural realm, then you invite that into your life by walking with God and surrendering yourself to the obedience of the Word of God. And you say, you embrace that reality. You embrace that world that is above the natural world. You embrace that world and the God whose ways are above our ways. Not beside our ways, not below man's ways, but above our ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are God's ways above our ways. So why in the world would you want to hack your way through the jungle of life Try to make it work in your own ability. When if you would trust in God, you would have access to all the power, all the resources that you ever need in life. It is the superiority of the spiritual. Yeah, I know. Oh, what possible application does this have to real life? Well, if you're Elisha and his servant, it has a whole lot to do with real life. Like you either die or you live. In the days of Egypt, when Joseph was brought out of prison, a word from God saved a nation and perhaps the entire world because Joseph tapped into a God who said there's going to be seven years of plenty. There's going to be seven years of famine. And if you will prepare for those seven years of famine, you're going to make it through. I'd say that's pretty practical. If you're Israel, 
marching on dry ground in the middle of the Red Sea to escape Pharaoh in Egypt, that's fairly practical. And when your enemy is drowned in the Red Sea as it closes up on them, I would say that's very practical. Because your past is destroyed. I would think that when David Stone smote Goliath in the forehead and David said, I come to you in the name of the Lord, that the death of that giant that intimidated Israel was very spiritual. And it was also very practical. But but, 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 but that's the Bible. What about real life? You see, there are a lot of people that have got problems at home. You can't solve them. But if you would continue to invite the intervention of God, and if you would obey His Word, God could save your marriage. Because the superiority of the spiritual works in real life. Of course, if you disobey God's principles in His Bible, then the spiritual stuff doesn't work for you because the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. It allows a Word to work in your life and Spirit and Word work together as spiritual resources for us. Some of you are dealing with problems in your family, maybe with your children, and you don't know what to do. But I can tell you, just as certainly as there was an army above the Syrian army that had resources for Elisha, that God has answers for you. He has resources for you. He has help for you if you will trust Him and pray. Pray your way through this. Don't just blindly blunder your way through this. Pray your way through this. You see, God specializes in getting people out of impossible situations. And very often our impossibility becomes God's opportunity to show Himself strong on behalf of them that fear Him, right? So God uses our problems to show that He has power over the natural world. You know, this works in business. Do you believe that God can speak to a businessman who's trying to make a business decision and doesn't know what to do? James wrote about the importance of including God in your business decisions. He said, don't say you're going to go to a city and spend a year there, buy and sell and get great gain. He said, what you really need to know is that you don't know about tomorrow, but you should say, if the Lord will. You should say, Lord, should I make this acquisition? Should I buy this property? Should I accept this job? Should I offer this bid? Do you know that God will be as involved in your life as you will give Him access into your life? If you say, no no trespassing in my marriage, He'll stand on the outside and watch your marriage implode while He reaches to try to save you. If you raise your kid by the ways of your children, by the ways of the world, God will stand there with the resources of the Bible and His Spirit and watch your family fail because you build it on sand and not rock. You can build your business on biblical principles or you can build it on conniving and scheming and dishonesty and it will fall flat. It is is the superiority of the spiritual. 
There are blessed people in this church who would tell you that God has blessed me beyond my ability. I didn't do this. God did this for me. Because I trusted Him. And I know that there is a world that is superior to the intellectual world or business acumen. It is what God can do for a man or woman who trusts Him and walks for Him. Wherever you work, there are always problems, conundrums, confusing things that keep you all knotted up. Personnel issues that you can't figure out. But God can use spiritual people. God can use His Spirit to give you insight, understanding. Oh, I know God can deliver you from drugs and alcohol. And God can set you free from the things that bind you. We preach about that a lot. And God will do that today. But I'm trying to get you to invite God close into your life and believe that His ways are above man's ways. That God will work on your behalf. I'm amazed when I read stories in the Old Testament. Israel's taken to Babylon. They're captives there. But God elevates Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. He gives Daniel, these four men, the Bible said, an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. He gives Daniel the ability to interpret the meaning of visions and dreams. Daniel is appointed by the king in a high position. He's given valuable gifts. He makes Daniel the ruler over the whole province of Babylon as well as chief over all the wise men. A Hebrew slave. Becomes a prime minister because he walks with God. At Daniel's request, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego are put in charge of the affairs over the province of Babylon. And Daniel is remaining in the king's court as a closest advisor to him. Later, when Belshazzar, the king's son, is about to lose his mind about the handwriting on the wall, they say, go get Daniel. Because God has given Daniel the spirit of the holy gods. They don't understand God. The spirit of the holy gods is in him. He's a man that has insight and understanding and wisdom like that of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar made him chief over all the magicians, the enchanters, the astrologers, the fortune tellers of Babylon. He has exceptional ability and is filled with divine knowledge and understanding. He can interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Daniel can do that. And it is not because Daniel is just brilliant, although I'm sure he was. But there is a spirit in Daniel. He understood the superiority of the spiritual. And when you get that, it changes the way you think and live your life. And as I said, but it's here in my notes, God said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither your ways, my ways, saith the Lord. See, secular society would have you believe that we just live a different life. But God says, no, we live a higher life. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, 
So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts, saith the Lord. The ways of the Spirit are always more powerful than the ways of the flesh. No matter how smart, talented, or humanly wise the flesh is, Spirit always trumps flesh every time. It's not like rock, paper, scissors. There's just one superior force that always wins. It is a superiority of the Spirit. I've shared this teaching on the gifts of the Spirit. <clears throat> but Brother T.L. Craft, my pastoral mentor, said that sometimes in ministry, and I'm going to say in life, we're trying to use a tool to do something that is very slow, time-consuming, painful, and saps a lot of strength. He said it's like taking a handsaw and trying to cut through a 2 by 12 piece of wood. There you are, as strong as you may be, and as sharp and well made as your salt may be. But here you are. That's what the flesh can do. But he said, if you have access to the gifts of the Spirit... If you have access to the supernatural, you take your power saw to the power source and you plug it in. And then with very little human energy, you just kind of... And you cut that board in half because there's a more superior way to do this. There's a better way. There's a better way to live your life. It is a superiority of the spiritual... Quit hacking away. You've got supernatural resources at your disposal. Why don't you stand with me right now? Paul said, For though we walk in the flesh, get up in the morning, got to brush your teeth and use a little mouthwash, We walk in the flesh. We're human beings. But he said, but we do not war after the flesh. Because we're we're outnumbered. We're out-resourced. We're outgunned if we're going to fight in the flesh. But Paul would say, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Weapons we use are not bombs and guns, worship. You know, we sing is the way the battle is won. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not impressive because you can't see them. Paul said, but they are mighty through God. To the pulling down of strongholds. Those places in the outcroppings of rock that the enemy has embedded himself. And you've tried to attack him with human means and you just can't get there. But God's power has the ability to pull down those strongholds. To cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And it brings into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Spirit is always superior to flesh. Every time, everywhere. For everyone. Would you bow your heads right now? I thank you, Lord, right now.
that you've opened our eyes so that we can see. But I pray in Jesus' name that not just through the preaching of a sermon, but by the illumination of the Spirit, For your word would say that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But there are families here that are wrestling against opponents that are bigger and badder than them. And they're losing. But today, I come in the name of Jesus Christ. I come in the power of the Spirit. And I pray, oh God that you would pull down those strongholds that we've been unable to destroy. I pray that you would release healing virtue in this room today. I ask in Jesus' name that you would let the glory of God descend on this house. Open our eyes that we may see the mighty angel armies available to us and the power of God to give us victory every time, everywhere. In the name of Jesus Christ, would you lift your hands? You can't pray and fast too much right now, but you can praise. You can't do a Bible study right now, but you can praise God. That's it. That's it. Would you say, God... We're up against the impossible. This is bigger than us. I can't do this, Lord. But I trust, God, that you have an answer, that you've got the solution, that you've got resources, oh God. Go ahead. Would you worship God now? Would you surrender your puny resources into the hands of a God that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or think according to the power that is at work in us. Go ahead, praise Him. Worship the Lord a while. Get in the presence of God. Repent of self-will. Repent of relying on the flesh. Trust God right now. Go ahead, trust God right now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. That's it. Go ahead. As you're worshiping, as you're praying, as you're repenting, would you worship your way? (laughs) The altars are open for you to come. Let the Holy Ghost be poured out right now.